marketing is about value. This is a very complicated world. It's a very noisy world. And we're not going to get a chance to get people to remember much about us. No company does. And so we have to be really clear on what we want them to know about us. Did we get any questions on that um, thing uh, we did from the, the last week episode? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So no, for everyone listening... questions from me. Okay. For everyone listening, you just confirmed. I think what we thought would happen is that no one's listening to podcasts to actually do too much action outside of the podcast. Um, and Spotify is trying to do that through the polls and the questions within the episodes and stuff. We also don't really get any uh, babies because our numbers are still, you know, relatively small. Maybe in the future, you need, maybe you need like tens of thousands of people listening to you to get like a few questions. I think the only thing we can ask and we'll ask again is if you're not following uh, or subscribing to the to the podcast, do that. It's just literally one tap. Hey, Thomas. How are you, man? Pretty good. How are you guys? Good. Good, good, good. And in yeah, the week good. on we're a just, good note. Yeah, sure. we're just saying we're, we're testing out um, Descript, this platform. That, oh, well, it's Squadcast. Um, so we've never used it before. So you're in for a treat of a, uh, <laughs> a slightly less um, maybe polished recording. But it seems to be working so far. Hey guys, this is Jake from the future. I'm just jumping in here in the edit. So little did I know when I said what I just said about everything seeming to be working fine, it actually wasn't working fine. And the recording ended up getting completely fucked. So we only actually ended up with about half of what we recorded, but we managed to get a cloud backup, which is what you're listening to right now. It's one continuous file, so there's points where we talk over each other. I've done my best to edit out any annoying bits, but it's definitely not going to be the best quality episode that we've put out to date, which is incredibly annoying. But the content is great, um, so we're putting out anyway. And if you can bear with it, then please do listen to the end because there's lots of great nuggets from Tomash and Yaron and myself in here. If not, we'll see you next week back doing the high-quality goodness that you have come to expect. Enjoy. So welcome to the podcast, Thomas. We were chatting about engagement on podcasts just before you joined just now, but it's all good. We should start with some introduction, I guess, and like who you are and stuff. I know we, we spoke a few times in the past and we've got some interesting topics to cover with you. I think we met when you were at you back in those years, which was how long ago? Two, two years ago? Was it more? About two years ago, yeah. About two years ago. And since uh, I won't give it too much, I'll let you do it, say it, but, you know, like moved into like more d digital marketing, digital nomad type of uh, lifestyle. So that's really, really interesting. Something we didn't really talk about in the podcast uh, since we started. So um, we'll dive into that. But most importantly, something to mention right at the beginning, right out the gate is like, we are not brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many times on linkedin i mean it must have happened 10 times by now when you post something and people are scrolling through the feed on linkedin they're like i thought it was you you are and it's no it's not it's, it's this guy thomas and like it's the same but it happens to to be fair it happens to me man like when i see your post and you put a feature a photo of your face i'm like it takes me a second to realize it was it, it wasn't me i was like i didn't post this so uh so yeah man that's amazing i've actually never heard that i know you said that yeah i think you mentioned to me in dms a little bit but i never knew it was like that many people getting us confused <laughs> with each other <laughs> so for that reason i shaved my beard a little bit for the episode so there is a little difference ah. and, uh, you know there's no no confusion in who's talking uh and who looks like who uh now it's it. just it's I just funny like man I don't think there's going to be a confusion on the audio side because <laughs> you guys don't, definitely don't sound like each other. But yeah, looks-wise, this is a this is this can be a push for people to come and watch it on YouTube. Like, come and yeah. come and see for yourself. Little details, but anyway, um, Thomas, introduce yourself um, for the for the people who you know don't know you. 
Sure, yeah. So I'm Tom, uh, Tom Ash or Tommy. Um, yeah, known by all of them. Uh, known as the Google Ads guy, generated hundreds of millions for DTC brands with Google Ads. Uh, pretty good at LinkedIn. Been doing that almost a year now. Got a good following there. Um, really, really enjoying that. And yeah, I've been doing Google Ads about seven years now. Had the wonderful opportunity to work with some of the biggest brands in the world. And yeah, really going down my own path now with building my personal brand and trying to do more content like this. That's great. And um, who did you work with before? Like, can you can you uh, uh, let us know a little bit more on like you know who you which brands are you uh, referring to? Yeah, so mostly food and drink brands, mostly FMCG. So Huel, Domino's, um, Dr. Will's, a lot of other kind of smaller startups as well, supplements, protein stuff. Um, and also a few others like Stitch Fix and the fashion space, which is a massive, massive personal stylist uh, company in the US and the UK. Um, but yeah, mostly food and drink over the years. I kind of fell into, uh, I do love food, but yeah, I kind of fell into that and then been loving it ever since. Nice. Do you still take uh, your uh, meals to supplement your... Every day. Every, yeah, day. every, every day. day, yeah. Oh. Massive fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I do drink it sometimes. Well. Yeah. For every for every meal. <laughs> I have tried that as well. I've yeah, I've, uh, gone down the Reddit rabbit holes of everyone, yeah, doing all Huel for six months and stuff. Um, I have tried it for every meal, but no, it's normally one meal a day. Um, yeah, they're ready to drink, so brilliant as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, How about you guys? No. Time to times, yeah. I've never, I've never tried it. I keep seeing the ads at the moment for the lunch one, like the noodle thing, and that mm. looks tasty as fuck. So I would definitely be up for that, <laughs> but um, I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, I just drink the. Um, what's my favorite? I think it's the chocolate one. The chocolate like ready meal check, like it's really, really, really nice. When I don't have time to to make lunch or something, I just drink that, and I know, I know, I'm good to go. Like, do people actually go on that stuff for like six months straight as an experiment on Reddit? Do they do that? Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the all the markers, a lot of people go super into it and get uh, their blood checked and then all their kind of cholesterol and all their markers checked. And then they get it checked every month for like six or 12 months. And I mean, the results are kind of speak for themselves, right? Like it works yeah. really well for people. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Nice. I know, I know our old friend Asif is a... Um... Is a is a Huel fan. I don't think I've ever actually seen him in the last three years in a picture without wearing a Huel T-shirt. So I'm assuming he actually, I'm assuming he drinks it or eats it. I'll ask him that next time. That Huel T-shirt. How big? How big of a marketing uh, tactic was to to give that T-shirt every? Was it every first order? Can you talk about it a little bit? Do you know much about like the the impact of that T-shirt? Like he said, it, at some point, I don't see it. Well, I do see it actually in, around London still, but suddenly you you just knew about the brand because of that black T-shirt with the logo on it. Yeah, I think the main thing there was a lot of brands were giving away T-shirts at that kind of stage, but they were the typical Gildan, you know, big heavy T-shirts, kind of not great quality and, you know, not really something that people wanted to wear. I think what was really cool with the Huel one was they actually thought, okay, a lot of people buying Huel are maybe on a weight loss journey or, you know, want to change themselves, you know, want to improve their life and, you know, get more nutrition in their life. So having, giving them that t-shirt that's, you know, nice fitting, super nice material, really comfortable. It ended up with a lot of people wearing it in the gym and then it just being the best advertisement ever, basically. Like I always notice them still. Uh, even the super old ones, like the dark gray ones, um, <laughs> I always yeah. see them in the gym still. Um, yeah, I think it works super well for them. Very clever. That's very clever. Um, and is that was that your first kind of brand side um, job or were you somewhere else before? How did you get started? Yeah, so I could take it back to about seven years ago now. I was earning three pounds an hour doing an apprenticeship at an agency. Um, I actually remember on Fridays, I would take myself to Tesco and buy a meal deal for three pounds. It was like a whole hour of work. 
and I'd sit in my car and I'd think to myself, like, is this it? Like, is this what the next five to 10 years is going to be like? Right. Um, and that was amazing in terms of, it was a really good place to work. The agency I worked at and started at, and I really liked the job, but I just didn't like the format. That's what I realized. Mm. So from then on, I made a plan to work with the biggest brands in the world to be the best I could possibly be at Google ads. And then I just spent the next couple of years like freelancing, trying to get build experience, you know, and then ended up landing some really great gigs at some really great brands. Um, and then kind of went from that. Mm. Awesome. And really so cool. PPC has always been your first love, has it Tom? Yeah. So I have done a bit of SEO before and uh, I was going to touch on it later because I'm still a big fan of kind of the crossover with PPC and SEO. Um, but yeah, always, always stuck to Google ads. Didn't really want to dilute myself. I felt like, um, yeah, always stuck to Google ads. Mm. And what, it, what is it? Do you, um, what do you think st- like stands that apart from the, uh, you know, the other push channels out there effectively, the other display channels like meta for a brand? Yeah. So a brand. So to me, TikTok is like this in terms of performance, right? For audio listeners, I'm going up and down with my hand very erratically. <laughs> also, Meta to me is pretty much the same. Your account gets banned, you know, you run into problems. Like, that's all I heard when I was at Huel and other brands from the Meta team and TikTok and other channels was just constant problems. Now, they definitely have great performance, don't get me wrong, but it felt very up and down to me. Whereas I like the nature of Google feels like a very mainstay character, you know, it's just very smooth sailing. You just tweak it a little bit, you know, you get into a good groove with it. You kind of chip away at that CPA over time and it just, just plain sailing basically. Um, that's always been my experience and that's why I really like it. Mm. I think it's, um, as a channel, I love it. I mean, it's like the first channel that I kind of started and back in the day, these days don't do too much on it, but it's, um, I feel like the thing that always trips me over that I feel like I should be better at is just the the an early stage keyword research side of things. You know, it's so easy to sit there and just come out with like six ideas, a lot of the system give you a few ideas and you just chuck it in. But I feel like having like a proper robust process to like do the research, same with SEO as well, it's the same thing that I trip over there as well, to like find the terms, put them in and then just have like a robust optimization process of stripping them out or you know using the search query report to pull ones in that's it seems it's like a bit more um high maintenance i guess as opposed to to maybe something like meta where the, especially these days i know google's doing the same and moving in the same direction where they want you to just give them your budget and nothing else and just leave it to run mm. um but it's always felt like to me like a channel where you need to have like properly crafted your optimization processes better than the other ones where you can be you can be a bit more of a chancer on on meta but on google you need to know your shit i think yeah for sure i think it's super underrated using insights from other channels though so most ppc people tend to stay in their lane and just go right ppc 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 but the way i've always approached it is okay what insights can i take from other channels that are working or not working and i look at it very much as a seo overview so in terms of topics and subtopics and that will go back to your, your thing about the initial keyword research, right? Working out what are the main topics this brand covers and what are the maybe subtopics, maybe more niche over here that they maybe don't touch on and are kind of, you know, left. Like a good example was at Huel, I started advertising for outdoor camping keywords. And that was from the organic e-com team where I saw actually, it was from a guy called Jamie who went on a lot of camping trips and would take the hot and savory Huel, you know, like the pasta ones and the mac and cheese and stuff. He would take it in the little pot and it would be a brilliant thing. He could take his hot water as well. Be great for camping. And when I kind of searched that, it was like Soylent was advertising to the tech bros and like Silicon Valley. And then Y Food, I don't know what Y Food was doing. I think they weren't really big in the UK back then. Mm. So it didn't seem like it was quite, it seemed like it was quite an untapped topic, you know, for meal replacements and for complete nutrition. Um, so started advertising on that, started making a bit of creative that was a bit more outdoorsy, some new creative campaigns that were targeted towards that. 
Um, and it wasn't massive volume, but it did really well because the competition in that space was only these little camping meals that were quite ugly and really expensive and just not competitive at all, right? And they'd just been, feel like, untouched. They were very niche camping brands for camping people. It didn't feel like, you know, they had much of a choice. Um, so, yeah, that was like a really good little untapped subtopic from another mm. channel. I, I, I think that's probably maybe where I was going with as a channel, it seems like um, with PPC, you can be more strategic. So, you know, these days, as you probably know, you go to Meta, you don't really do interest targeting anymore. Um, you might do something with custom audiences or whatever. We don't do too much really creative when it comes to targeting. Maybe people are going to tell me I'm wrong. Um, but for PPC, you can you can still go and you can find new angles. So you can find the camping mm. angle. You can find, you know, like secret Santa if you're talking about like a charity that wants to drive donations. No one's searching for a donation, but everyone at a certain point of year does secret Santa. Can you tap into that? So I think that's what makes it. It's obviously um, less creative as a visual medium channel. Obviously, you don't have like ad creative more than text or copy. But I think as a strategic medium, there's a big range where you can have more of an interesting kind of strategy there. Is that fair to say? I think moving forward, no. <laughs> I think I think creative historically, yeah. But moving forward, no. I think it's I think it's basically flipped on its head. So creative, I feel like now is probably 50% of the battle with Google Ads, and then 50% is the technical strategic stuff you're talking about. I think going forward, even the next year or two with Performance Max, all the autom automation, all the like, give your budget to Google and just let it run, all the off-platform stuff and creative will become way more important. So I feel like that's going to be 70% of the battle, and then in-platform stuff's going to be like 30% of the battle. Mm. Um, yeah, and I've seen creative honestly move the needle at most brands more than anything else with Google because with the technical stuff, definitely you have to plan. I agree. You have to be strategic, six to 12 month roadmaps, that kind of thing. But I feel like creative, there's a lot left on the table. A lot of brands that I go into. Oh yeah. 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 Interesting. I, yeah I think so. I was, sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. No, go on. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I think, uh, marketers though, I've been more used to um, social uh, advertising on Meta, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever. Um, there's still a, there's still a gap there. There's still like some progress for most brands to do, but they're, they're probably more used to used to do it. I find it with even with myself, like going into focusing on creative for Google is like a boulevard. Like there's so many crap creative still. Because it's not, it hasn't, it wasn't the the thing up until fairly recently in the history of uh, the channel. It used to be a lot more keywords oriented and automations on you know bidding automations and all that technical stuff, uh, which was never my thing. But now it's moving into um, more like a self creative, and then their machine learning and AI will figure it out that the camping people with that creative would be interested. Um, like every other channel makes it, it's gonna become more and more of a um, community as a channel and the, the, the only viable really is the creative. Like can you manage the creative well um, to, to get to your results? It's very interesting, very, very interesting. But it feels like, yeah, there's a, it's like you said, it's like a, there's an overlap right now. It's still uh, kind of in between depending on the business and you know, depending if you're like, I don't know, a fintech or a DTC, or whatever it is, an auto auto business, like selling cars, whatever, like that, that kind of changes. But um, yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. Go on, Jake. What do you think, Tom, about the, 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 the direction of all these channels? You know, Google, as you just said, are, are jumping on the bandwagon as well with the give us your budget, let us do the work for you. Are you on board with that i know it's like it's a point now where it's like you get on board or get left behind but what's your general feeling with with that shift towards automation across the whole industry yeah so 
I like it personally because it means I can I can focus more on creative, which is something I feel like I'm really strong on. I also like it because I can talk to people that run other channels more rather than staying in my lane, which was what most PPC guys did normally. Um, so yeah, generally, I really like the shift. And I also think there's no point bitching about it like most people do, right? It, I just think it's a waste of time to jump on and moan about automation, automation. Like, you probably see it on your feeds all the time, right? I tend to not really get involved and just say, look, this is the direction they're heading we can best adapt we can get ahead of it you know we can already see the glimpses of where they're moving towards and what's going to be more important like conversion tracking off-platform stuff you know landing pages conversion rate optimization all those kind of things are going to play a much bigger role so i would say today start getting better at those things and then that will make you a better ppc person and future proof yourself mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And what about the not too distant future, but slightly more further ahead where there's potentially going to be this shift where you're searching Google and there isn't necessarily a need to be shown a SERP anymore. It's going to be an AI-based result that will take you immediately there. And you know, and then the the removal of the, the placements in, in the search engine results page, potentially, if they can find another way to like, make that revenue somehow in AI. I don't know what that's going to be. But um, I think that's going to be an interesting change in the next kind of five, 10 years and such. Yeah, I actually did my uni dissertation on this, on zero-click searches, so uh, voice searches and AI uh, a long time ago. And it was kind of billed as the big thing back then. And it still kind of feels like it's billed as the big thing right now. So <laughs> I'm not sure how far off that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. It's... um. I think voice, for me personally, anything voice now, I fucking hate. Like, I have an Alexa. It's, it sucks to do pretty much anything. And I've forced myself to use that thing a lot. And I did like the whole automated home thing. It doesn't hear you half the time or it gets shit wrong. It's fucking annoying. I never use Siri. If I see something on like, if I see the, look, I've literally never clicked that microphone button on the Google search page and, and said what I want to search. I just, I just do not get voice search at all. It's coming just though. Put that out there. I think it's coming though. I think, I think more and more, uh, it's more and more, um, adopted. I don't know, you know, how long it would take to be like, it might not be a full transformation, but I think the biggest change is I think what what it makes brand more important like brand the notion of branding it makes it more important because when someone who said that i think it was gary v but like it was like gary v four years ago who was like saying i remember that video because I, I, I thought it was really clever it was like when um when someone search with their voice they will mention the brand they want so there's no space for three or four other brands to show up. So brand wins in a voice generated query. Um, in, in, it may be more cases than it is now where you maybe just put a random question or if, even if you put a random question and say like, what's the best, uh, toothpaste I can buy Siri or Alexa or whatever will just tell you this is the one. There's only there's only space for one answer instead of four or five. Like you see what I mean? Like I think it reduces I, the it reduces the options. I agree with that, but I would argue with Gary on that point that if you if we get to a point where we say, Give me the best tooth whitening toothpaste out there mm. and we're just being it's a single click search or whatever as you call it, Tom then brand doesn't come into it because it's all the other signals that are reviews and ratings and the AI knowing what's is good for me. And I don't even see the brand. The shit just turns up in a, in the, in a brown <laughs> packet on my doorstep and then I just use it. But that True. is a potential future where, where we could go to like on, on, um, yeah. on Amazon, if you're on um, Alexa, whatever it's called echo, whatever you want to call it. If you say, order me some light bulbs, it'll just order you the fucking Amazon ones. It won't even give you, even if yeah. they're the worst reviewed ones. Yeah. So I think that's um, you know, got to be careful with trusting the machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you? Uh, I want to ask you this question actually. In terms of, uh, no, we jumped straight into the um, 
the the PPC kind of side. But is there anything like in like this year or like recently like that you see uh, startups brands still do like wrong, like the the biggest mistake that uh, people do in PPC these days? Like you could share. Uh, it's a long list, if I'm honest. Um, I audit accounts almost daily and it's kind of embarrassing how badly some accounts are run. Um, Spill the tea. I think it's mostly creative, I would say. It's just like a lot of brands set and forget creative. So even ad copy is as simple as ad copy, right? They just set and they forget it. And then it's either out of date or, you know, it's talking about a sale from fall, winter, 2017. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's got an image that's, you know, image extensions now. Uh, they're often forgotten as well. Mm. Um, it's got an image that, you know, isn't even from your website. Google's just pulled it from somewhere because you've let it do an automated thing, which happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think it would go back to what we were talking about before about search intent, really. I think a lot of brands don't think through the buyer journey enough and they don't, and this comes into the strategic part of road mapping what you're going to test, right? What topics you're going to test, you know, what kind of categories you're going to go after with the targeting. I think search intent is just massively underutilized and underthought about. So for example, you know, we're just talking about the, the zero click search. If you're asking Alexa to buy you something, right? Um, that's quite clear, the search intent. But if you're buying a product and you're looking at competitors halfway through and then you're seeing a search ad and then you're seeing a shopping ad and then you might see another ad from another brand on YouTube and then you might fourth time round go back to the original brand to buy it, but you land on a different landing page, like all those kind of things basically conversion rate optimization and landing pages and the whole way that works together is just super underrated in my opinion i think a lot of people just set and forget ppc um and they just put the search ads out there and also it changes over time right the competitive landscape changes a lot over time so just like with creative you need to change about how you need to change how you talk about your product over time you know, you can't talk about it the same way you might, you can't hit the same angles you did three years ago because now all the competitors are saying the same thing. I always talk about on LinkedIn, talk about what your competitors can't, talk about what your competitors don't want to, you know, find those nuggets and then exploit them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good, good point. Yeah, I like that. That's probably also very high in the list of things when it comes to PPC that I bad traits that I have is not optimizing my ad creative or add my ad copy most mm. of the majority of the time. Yeah. 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 To be honest, Google is fucking annoying with all the sizes and shapes of uh, all the videos and images. It's like there's 20,000 of them. No, there's not 20,000. There's 20 of each. And it's like 20 of different sizes of each. Maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but it's like, come on, man. Just like 916. Like everyone else, 16, 9, 9, 16, that's it. Job's done. Just resize it yourself. Like, don't ask me to put all the sizes. I'm sure they'll change in a, or maybe they already changed. I don't know. Am I, what, am I correct, Tom? Or... You guys ever heard of Dark UX? Ooh, no. Tell me more. So it's basically, you know, if you ever cancel a subscription and they make one button red, like the, the, they make the keep your subscription button like green and then the cancel yeah. button red. It's that yeah. kind of thing. And then sometimes they switch it around. So it messes with your brain and then you accidentally in a rush click the keep subscription and you're like, hold on, I've been charged. I thought I canceled <laughs> this. There's a lot of dark UX in the Google ads interface, uh, unfortunately. And if you're not honestly a total geek about it, it's really easy to just click the wrong thing and let it, do some automation yeah. thing that you're not really aware it's doing. So that that's with the, with the ad sizes. That's what I find generally people just are led down the wrong path. It, it's not their fault. It's just Google makes yeah. it really complicated basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 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 It does. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about YouTube. 
I think um, as part of the Google uh, suite of uh, what's possible, I've, I've found over the years to be leaning a little bit more towards YouTube from a, a brand kind of uh, uh, to, to, to measure the impact on branded traffic, basically, and how cheap YouTube still can be. And uh, to this day, I was wondering if you explored that those kind of avenues with YouTube or was it always part of the automation of the campaigns that you ran? Like, do you have any, like any interesting tests that you've run on like just like cost per view, like cheap cost per view on your specific targeted audience and stuff? I feel like it's still quite underrated as a tactic. Yeah. Um, for brand, yes. For conversions, which is what I mostly focus on with econ brands. No, I think YouTube is the least efficient channel within yeah. Google. So it's the cherry on top. Once yeah. you've maxed out your search, your shopping, display discovery-ish sometimes. <laughs> and then you've got the cherry on top, YouTube, right? Yeah. I think it's got a lot better over the years. Google is clearly pushing it. You know, I've had a lot of chats with YouTube strategists from Google. And yeah, you can really develop it as a channel like like no other um well like you couldn't years ago basically yeah. so it's definitely come a long way yeah. i think creative um i think localizing on youtube is really important so not running the same creative in the uk us and europe you know localizing that creative is super important yeah. using you know local lingo the local phrases in a particular city maybe that can work really well that's something i've played around with a lot and uh i also want to give a shout out to the to the paid social guys uh, like yourself, I think YouTube paid social people run really well. I think that's a channel that you should pretty much hand off to the paid social guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe that's why uh, I did more tests on that <laughs> over the years. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, something to dig into a bit, Tom, when you, you mentioned um, display, and certainly in my experience from a prospect, cold prospecting angle, display has never really been the one. For brand campaigns, yes, can be great. But then for e-com, pure like remarketing activity, is that still something that is kind of in your toolkit, or uh, you know, do you still kind of um, you would always run remarketing activity on display for an e-com brand? Is my question, I guess. Yeah, it's actually become part of my toolkit again. I didn't use it for a couple of years, and the last. Uh, year 18 months i've really started using discovery which is a campaign type that's a flavor of display so it's more focused on gmail and youtube uh, and specific placements rather than just the whole of display like a normal just general general display campaign discovery again is not going to be the most efficient but it's a nice little test to run with you know five, 10% of your daily budget. And, you know, if it picks up a couple of conversions, great. I've had some really good results with it. I think it always comes back to your offer and your product with that. So I think brands that have a really strong offer do really well on discovery and brands that don't have much to offer past the competitors don't really. I, I think with discovery, it's there's not many levers to pull apart from your offer and your product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it comes back to, you know, the offer and just the, the kind of fundamental things, right? We, we we spoke with Rob, it feels like months ago, it probably was months ago now on this podcast, <laughs> and we were talking about the importance that a lot of marketers now kind of forget about, which is the offer, the hook, angle, whatever you want to call it. Um, but like you said at the start, a landing page, you know, now there's so many times you click an ad, you just arrive on... A, okay fine usually a landing page but maybe the the one landing page that they drive all their search traffic to and then when you kind of deviate i suppose a bit into um from d to c to maybe to b to b um that's when you start seeing in my opinion that's when i've kind of seen the really nice um landing pages tailored specifically to what i was searching for for like the the SaaS product that i've had land on the landing page too but i think that it's, it's like a fundamental thing, right? But it's, it's one of those things that just seems to be forgotten about. I I wanted to jump on um, before we move away from this kind of this kind of topic and maybe talk a little bit more about LinkedIn and 
being a digital nomad do you have a do you have like um one at this one maybe a couple of um example of like best in class or maybe like unique campaigns that you ran uh, at yule or dominoes that like stood out that you still remember that you that you want to share yeah so the main one was a new product launch in the us uh, we i don't think there was much historical data on the us i don't think they launched much um in the us maybe nothing at all um that was when i just joined Hule. So I launched a new product in the US and quite quickly I saw that the CPA was massively different between states. So I actually split them out and started running different campaigns. I remember distinctly for New York, for example, and Texas. And we had uh, a few people that were from those places in the team and in the wider company. And I would just sit them down and drill into them. Like, how do you talk about this? Do you say the big keyword that was the kind of problem was plant-based, vegan? Um, what was the other one? Uh, non-dairy, non-GMO, those kind of, that sphere of keywords was super different across states of how they talked about those things. And I said to, you know, one person, like, would you buy something that says plant-based? And they're like, oh, no way, that sounds rubbish. It sounds like it would taste rubbish. All the connotations, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I actually localized the copy based on all those insights. Um, and then the other thing I did also was localizing the social proof. So instead of saying 150 million meals sold worldwide, it was 10 million meals sold in New York. New York yeah. So compared to a lot of competitors that were maybe German or English or even American, it seemed a lot more local and it really spoke to the local people in the local lingo. Mm, that's a great that's one did you put for the texas one did you have to put someone with a cowboy hat on the reviews photo? <laughs> <laughs> it actually surprised me that one i i think honestly that was the that was the plant-based one not the vegan yeah. one if i remember correctly it was it was surprising honestly yeah, I, you know, I whatever think, i thought I was wrong yeah no i think but i think it's uh it's easy to imagine i mean i've I've had similar discussion when i was at depop and we were launching in the u.s like you can't launch the u.s as the u.s it's like you've got the red state the blue states like there's different type of people like the politics are different like the the way they talk the accents like it's like there's there's so many things um within that uh country that you uh that you have to take care of uh so yeah that's no, a good great example i love that really cool um did you have something jake before i, move I mean on? even in, even in the uk really it doesn't have to go to a market as big as the us i think it'll be interesting to test localization just within yeah. you know maybe not county level but certainly regions in yeah. with it in the uk and you know we've spoken before yo and um about just splitting London out, treating London as its own. And this is yeah. on the social side of things, potentially yeah. the same for search. Treat London yeah. as its own country. It's and just, you can have massive wins by doing that. So I think yeah. it's an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, with the, the thing, I don't know if I shared that, uh, this that deep, but fuck it, I'm just going to talk about it. Some things I don't want to talk about in the podcast, but then I'm like, oh, it's fine. After a few, uh, it's late. Um, but exactly to this point and to your example, Tom, um, running podcast ads through Spotify network and going city by city and literally the script you give Spotify, they do the voice for you. They do the music and the voice for you. So I literally as a growth marketer like you don't even need a creative team like you literally could just do it by yourself with spotify and uh and just some time and uh, i would localize the the script for bristol birmingham leeds da, 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 da. and um for a very small budget you can reach the exact target audience that you're trying to reach with within your business and if you've got a nice way to track your conversions and where they come from like uh, in terms of locations uh, for example mixed panel in our case i was able to see like literally to the day the ad launched like the improvement in co the overall conversion rate from that city and like this is incredible like just just from like little yeah, things like that so yeah no it just go back to your point like this is a uh, this uh 
this level of testing is uh, is great when you get to that level. It's so it's so interesting when you unlock something doing something like that. Um, cool. That's super cool. I can jump in with another example, a European example. So I know you guys love subscription products. I know you guys talk about it a lot on this podcast. So this is really like the tea that I don't think a lot of people know. And yeah, this is one of them ones where I'm like, I don't know if I want to share it, but yeah, fuck it. <laughs> so it's how you talk about the word subscribe in different languages. Um, so there's one thing where, for example, in German, they call it recharge would be a better translation. So testing on a landing page and in ads, how you talk about that word, subscribe, how you talk about no commitment, or you say you're recharging. I know they say a similar thing in Dutch, I think as well. Um, and then also testing whether you actually put that word in English in certain markets. Colombia is a good example. Spanish speaking, but massive English speaking population too. Maybe use the American word, for example. So hyper-localizing that specific word for subscription products is like really a big deal. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That's a nice one. It's a little golden nugget right there. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Really cool. Um, no transition. No, uh, no, no segue into the next topic. <laughs> but uh, you, um, you've moved uh, away from being full-time client side, you know, working for the, the big brands that, yeah, that you mentioned. How, let's start with that. How that transition like came about and how did you find it? And when was it? Yeah. So about two years ago, uh, I got some really good opportunities to start contracting and I had freelanced before, a couple of years before, um, but I felt like by then I really built up a good social proof, a good couple of brands I had worked on. You know, I felt like I really had a good foot in the door in PPC. So I thought, okay, let's jump in, let's take the risk, let's start contracting. Worked with agencies, worked client side as well, um, but on much more flexible basis, right? I could travel, it was fully remote always. Uh, it was a lot more money, which was brilliant. So I could travel as well. Um, and that was really the start of me thinking, why not? There's honestly nothing more complicated for the digital nomad thing than just like, why not? If I can just go here and then when I feel like it, move here. I think it's mostly from an inspiration point of view. Like I like change. I like things being organized chaos. Um, and yeah, moving between places has always inspired me. If I feel a bit stuck or I feel a bit down, moving your physical space is what I'd always recommend to people. I think even going down the road to a new coffee shop is a fresh a breath of fresh air, right? Yeah. 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 Nice. And you've been doing that for two years now? Yep. And uh, where did you go? Where did you work from? Ah, so it's a lot of countries, uh, mostly Portugal, Madeira, Germany, France, Japan, um, a lot, mostly in Europe though, mostly in Europe. I don't tend to, contrary to most digital nomads that are all in Bali, I actually recommend people don't do that <laughs> because yeah. it's a lot of change already being a digital nomad, right? Like you want to keep some things the same. And personally for me, I just don't do well with different time zones just just a me thing mm. Mm. japan must have been quite tricky <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah, yeah it was yeah. worth it though it was super sick um really cool. yeah Where i want to go, go to japan where was it uh tokyo and then i spent like one night in osaka which was super cool but mm. i really want to go back and drive the togos the mountain roads rent a gtr you know, live the whole Tokyo drift dream. I didn't quite get to do that. I was I was a bit too young when I did it, so um, they wouldn't let me drive the cars. So, one to go back to. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great. And I I heard uh, I heard uh, parts of Portugal, maybe Lisbon or I don't know like which city, is is uh, is done now for digital nomads because it's so expensive because there's so many of them. I think I saw. Is the what's the, what's his name? I can't remember his actual name. Is uh, level 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 Iso, level Leo on on 
on Twitter. Anyway, he's like the the king of the digital. I think he, he started the whole like digital nomad uh, website or community thing online. And um, I think there was like a, a hotel night for like 700 pounds or 800 pounds. It was like, this is done. This is too expensive <laughs> now. Like this is not the Portugal that used to be. Um, do you find do you find that to be true, or do you think there's still margins in Portugal? <laughs> is it still okay? Yeah, I, honestly, it is a bit of a sad reality. Yeah. I think as more people demand higher end accommodation, more higher end accommodation is built, and it's something I'm actually really aware of when I go to places. I try as much as possible to have a balance between going to touristy places to eat, for example, attractions, but also going to the local places, trying to say to someone, you know, Portuguese guy, like, where do you eat, right? Like, where should I go? Like, who can I support, you know, as much as I can, right? Like, I'm still going to go to some tour touristy places for sure. But yeah, just trying to support as much as I can. Um, I think digital nomads will always have an effect on somewhere. But um, yeah, I, th I think just being aware of it is, is a really good start. Yeah, yeah that's true. Are you going to um, carry on doing that for the for the foreseeable? Yeah, so I actually have a post coming out uh, later this month or whenever it might be out by the time this podcast comes out. Um, yeah, just maybe some property in Portugal, maybe a base, maybe. Let's see. Um, yeah, I would still say it's the best country in Europe for sure. Wow. Interesting. How's the Wi-Fi in general over there? <laughs> yeah it's great honestly like you would be in the most rural place and you'll get fiber pretty everywhere um yeah i mean i had to get starlink in some places so i sometimes travel with a starlink i don't know if you've seen that the, the mm. satellite broadband um that's a lifesaver as well um yeah it's, it's quite funny it's, yeah i've seen a lot of people i actually saw someone else traveling with it and i was like oh why don't i travel with it so you bring like the big case and the big dish and all that. Like if you know you're going to be somewhere for a while and the internet's not going to be good, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Tony mm. Stark style. Tony <laughs> Stark style, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you, um, how, do you, how do you balance like the amount of uh, companies, uh, startups you work with or agencies that you work with right now? Like do you, what met methods like do you use to kind of like stay afloat and optimize i guess yeah so i made a conscious decision about two years ago not to do an agency hmm. i felt like it would dilute my brand and myself and my skills and i made the decision to work with a handful of brands at a time mm -hmm. and that decision actually came a lot from advice from you Johan, actually so I know Damn. we had a little men mentoring session, like, uh, how long was it? Yeah, maybe a year or two ago. You remember when my ne neon light fell off my wall during the call? <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, uh, when you told yeah. me you, uh, you were going to quit your job and go freelance, the light, the light fell off. It was something like that. It was like a sign. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the universe was trying to tell me something there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, sorry, what was your question again? Um, how do you manage the kind of like workflow and maintaining, like even if not building an agency, but just on, on your own to not, not go crazy? I know like when I did it, I didn't do it for a long time, like maybe six months max. Um, when I was, I didn't have a full-time job uh, before I started at Nude. And I, I know after the six months, maybe I, 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 went, I was going too hardcore with it, trying to squeeze too much, but I thought like it was, I, f I found it hard. So I was just wondering if uh, if uh, it was okay for you and like if you had any tactics or ways of managing it. Yeah, so I think the main thing is working with a handful of brands at a time and knowing your workflow. So I only got good at this after a couple of years of chaos, right? I think you always need to go through the chaos phase and it's for some people, it's not for a lot of people, right? So I like the chaos personally, and I moved through that chaos to get to the point of I know the signs when I'm feeling like I'm going to burn out or I feel like I need to sleep more or I feel like I maybe need to stay in one place for a bit longer than another place, for example. 
or when I feel like I need a change, right? When I feel like something's not working and I need to end something or, you know, I need to change course, I've got quite good at knowing that through self-reflection. So that's something I think is really important and a lot of people don't do enough is celebrating your wins, which I didn't do for a really long time, which I think was really unhealthy. So celebrating your wins, writing down six, 12 months of, okay, what have I achieved? Looking back, talking to your friends and saying, hey, you know, what have I done? Because I think it's easy to like just rampage through life, right? Rampage through business, yeah. all these wins along the way and feel like you're always chasing the next thing. I think that's how I stay sane with this journey is celebrating the wins along the way, drink to your accomplishments, right? Like Drake yeah. says, just listen to his new album. <laughs> oh man, I just started. Is it good? Uh, it's wicked. In the Tesla, pumping bass, beautiful. <laughs> Damn. Um, did you have a question, Jake? I've got another one. Um, no, go for it. Go on. How do you find your clients? Mostly. Good question. couple of years ago it was just through sheer determination <laughs> that was applying for every job you know getting to the interview and saying hey i'm a freelancer what can i do for you what problem do you need to solve always approaching it from an add value perspective of like what's the problem you need to solve right yeah okay you want to hire for this that and the other but what's the actual issue that you want to solve and can i solve it for you that's how, kind of how I approached it. I used to find, uh, I just commented this on the, the Heights guy, um, his, his LinkedIn actually, about using niche job sites, like workingstartups.com is one I'd recommend. And I've had a lot of success over the years with. So not going on Indeed and all the big ones where mm. there's massive competition and I think a lot of fake jobs as well, controversial using the niche ones where it's smaller companies you're probably going to speak to the founder you can have a good chat if nothing else comes about it you know you can make that connection and then six months 12 months down the line they might come to you for something right you've got that connection so that was a couple of years ago just really spraying and praying basically uh trying every avenue i think it was out the out of the box as well you know just thinking right this is what everyone does what else can i do like what can i do that's outside of the box and then nowadays, the last year or two, it's just been LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn's changed everything for me. It's become a lot easier. It's been more inbound leads and people wanting to work with me. Um, yeah, and it's changed everything. Awesome. That's really cool. And how, um, how did you get, uh, how did you find your LinkedIn journey actually like transition to that like moving from grinding uh, maybe taking interviews and flipping that into getting getting some work because I, I do think by, uh, to, to that point before we move on to LinkedIn um, I think especially in this economy where teams are reducing uh, companies are not necessarily hiring even if even if they are hiring sometimes they th they would maybe prefer to have someone freelance as opposed to full time. So they get more flexibility. It's more like a flexible contract, maybe like a couple of months, a shorter mission. It's uh, it's probably, uh, it should be an easier sell in 2023 than it was in 2021, uh, where it was still like kind of the booming phase where it kind of, it looks cool to have a big team. So you like, you want to recruit like full times all over the place. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it was the, it was not not just 2020 but it kind of ended around that time and then moving into 2022 etc but um the biggest the team the biggest the team was the 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 it was like almost uh, a flex you know but not the, not anymore so it should be uh should be a good thing um but moving on to linkedin uh you how did that um how did that happen so you moved uh freelance um and you started posting straight away or was it like a progressive approach? Like how, um, how did you take the LinkedIn, uh, content journey? Putting yourself out there is really scary. And it took me a really long time to start. 
I've wanted to do it for six, seven years, and I've always wanted to do YouTube, and that will be my end goal. Hopefully, you subscribe to my channel in like five years. <laughs> but <laughs> it took me a really long time to start making content. But I knew it was the the main thing going forward. I just think it's the main leverage that you can use nowadays, right? So I think the first public trillionaire will be a personal brand. Like if you look at Elon, right? It's like the, the things you can achieve with the leverage you can build with a personal brand is just insane. So it took me a really long time to start. It was super scary to put myself out there, but I really started from a place of, I want to build something myself. I always felt like even freelancing, it could all be taken away from me. You know, I was always building other people's stuff, right? And I was always kind of beholden to my clients as great as they were. It was, you know, I didn't feel like I was building anything of myself. So that's when I started the content. Um, and <laughs> it's... Uh, Honestly, I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's really scary to start, but I think the blueprint is there. I don't feel like I did anything out of the box with LinkedIn to grow to where I am. I think it's just consistency, which is a word that's thrown around a lot. But my version of consistency is posting every day and spending hours every day for four, five, six months and expecting nothing back. Yeah. Great one. Great one. Yeah, it's it's the it's the the easiest uh hack is just consistency, right? And it's like people don't wanna hear it when the solution is just you have to do it for a very long period of time without expecting anything back. And they're like, No, but there must be there must be something. Like is it video? Is it carousel? The, uh, you know, do I do I make my carousel blue? Is that the trick? It's like, no, the, the trick is just, you do it every day and it flops half of the time or more than half of the time at the beginning. And then eventually there's one that does it a little bit better and then there's two and then there's three and then then, then it flops again for a while. And it's, um, yeah, it's a roller coaster. But um, you've, grown, you've grown quite a lot, right? How, how many, like, followers did you did you start and then where are you now did you track that the kind of like journey before and before and after yeah so i'm about 10 months in now um i'm at 10,000 followers i've had hundreds of leads in the last 10 months that's been a mix of google ads clients linkedin people asking me to write their content um you know advising roles brand partnerships opportunities that i like you know just just insane opportunities that yeah. I just had no idea a lot of them even existed. You know, um, I heard you speak about on a previous episode, how random people would just reach out to you, mm. um, you know, and, and hear the podcast. And that's the most amazing thing for me is when I launched my power hour, which is a 60 minute consult, I expected a lot of people I was already speaking to and already warming up and, you know, potential clients to book. Right. And they were kind of like, yeah, sounds good. Maybe, you know, didn't really get a great response. I put it up, put a few posts out and stuff. And I had like loads of bookings of people willing to put down money that I'd never spoken to. They'd never interacted with my content. They just straight book and pay a power hour with me. And that was just insane to me. And you realize there's all these people lurking, enjoying your content, but not engaging with it. And I honestly never believed in that, but it is true. Yeah, you're the second yeah. person that I uh, saying that. Go on, Jake. No, I mean, it's, it's completely true. I mean, we can see from the listener numbers on the podcast versus like we said, we're talking about at the start just before you joined Tom, like we, when we ask for engagement or we try and do something that is, because a podcast is a tricky thing because you don't necessarily get audience engagement back. Like we have the engagement when we bring someone on and we have some comments maybe sometimes and some messages, but you don't get, you know, you might get like a thousand listens of something, um, but you certainly don't get even 10% of like feedback from the audience. So, um, it's nice to see that you, at least you can see that you have like this constant um base of people there like the, from your mm. following on linkedin or from our uh, stats that we see on the podcast but it's definitely true that um 99.9 percent .9 of people just consume and yeah. don't put anything out there 
Mm-hmm. And we had um, Ma- Marcus, um, I think from posting as well uh, recently, like being more like methodical about uh, posting on yeah. LinkedIn. He got this, uh, did he go to Korea or something to speak yeah. at an event? Like he got invited yeah, he to, to like yeah. fucking Korea to go to, to it's mad. Like it's, it's uh, it blows my mind. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I agree with what you said at the beginning, Tom, like it's, it's, the. it was a massive opportunity a few years ago, but it's still a massive opportunity today. Like it's not too late, uh, to start posting once a week or a couple of times a week and then start increasing over time as you feel comfortable doing and I unlock so many things. And I do think there's also like, um, I think what's really untapped still today is people in jobs not freelancers, not trying to set a course, not, um, you know, not trying to get leads out of it. I think there's so much opportunity for people in jobs within the teams, even junior people to document their journey where they are, you know, they could be at yield now or, you know, wherever, um, you get so much leverage. And I, I, I used to, um, realize that when I was at Depop. I was already posting on LinkedIn, not every day, but fairly often, at least weekly, maybe twice weekly already. And when I was there, I just joined, or maybe it was like a few months in, um, when you type deep up on LinkedIn, I was showing up above the CEO. Like I was the number one thing, like person that you would, that would, that would show up on LinkedIn because I was an employee advocating for my job and what I was doing and being like very proud of it. Uh, that has so much power to, uh, that could have so much power to someone's career, uh, doing that even in jobs. And I don't think that's being, um, uh, something that people realize at all. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, just wanted to interject with a comment for the audience actually. Uh, whose hat game is the best out of the three of us here. I always see you guys with the fire hat game in the previous podcast, so I thought I'd try my best. and <laughs> Hopefully it sparks some conversation and some debates, you know? Dad, just drop the in the comments. Way. Yeah, drop in the comments. Yeah, I I, uh, I like you. I like your hat, Tom. I like your hat. It's cool. I went for the beanie today, uh, but uh, I really like your hat. I almost bought... Um, uh, is it, is it ice cream? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, different color, but I almost, almost, I almost bought one. So yeah, we're more similar than you think. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next podcast, we can uh, we can match next the hats. Time. Yeah. Next time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just um, DIY th- dad mode with paint, the paint splat hat. But no, but that's cool. You know, like you know, hats. That's like, personality. Yeah, yeah, hats now like uh, um, falling apart or in trend now. You know, like uh, uh, just a little, little anecdote recently. I, I really like the brand Martin Rose, um, and uh, you can see Kendrick Lamar wearing a lot of Martin Rose recently, or at least in the last year or so. Um, and there's a hat. It's literally the hat is destroyed. It's like falling apart. It's broken. <laughs> Uh, broken down and I looked at the price it was like 500 quid for a hat and I was like oh. and sold out obviously so you can't even obviously. even if you had the money you couldn't even buy it so um, so yeah no, you're on trend uh, Jake don't worry it's, uh, <laughs> you should move, you should put more paint more paint on your hat uh, um, it's got to be authentic it's got to be authentic stains yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the best place to buy a hat in my opinion is on Vinted because you just go and buy like some old yeah, like yeah. Sainsbury's hat from like 20 years ago. I think a, a busted up old hat is, is the best type of hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On that note, I think we coming up to the hour. Uh, it was it was awesome, uh, Tom. Thank you for sharing uh, your story, some uh, practical advice. I think it was great. It was awesome. Smashed it. Yeah, it was great. Appreciate too. it, guys. Yeah, if I could leave anyone looking to start the LinkedIn journey with or PPC journey, or you're doing PPC for years with any advice, it would probably be swerve out of your lane. Don't stay in your lane. Mm. 
That's good. I like that. Yes. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, it was nice to have you. And um, yeah, let's keep in touch. Talk to you soon. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Nice one, Tom. Cheers, mate. It's great. See ya. <laughs> Bye. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> There used to be a button that was like I could end the session, but okay. now I don't know what happened. <laughs> also, I can't see myself for the last 10 minutes. My camera is completely gone.